Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Leopold's Hunt Talk Radio. Uh, today, I've got a really cool opportunity, uh, one I've been working on for a while. I hope that you get a lot of benefit out of this. You know the, the purpose, the mission, the why of our platforms is to promote self-guided public land hunting and create advocates for that cause. Well, the public land hunting part of it becomes a pretty big piece. And when you say you're going to create advocates for public land hunting, you're required to jump into the world of politics. And I know instantly a bunch of you are going to think, oh no, politics. Here we go again. Well, one of the, the principles I operate from is that I'm of the party of hunting, fishing, and public land. I'm party agnostic. I'm probably anti-party. Um, and I give that as a preface because no matter who I have on my podcast who's a policymaker, it seems like one side or the other or somebody gets their feelings hurt. Well, the other premise I operate from is if you want people to do good, you better let them know when they do good. And in our world of what I'll call contrived or fake uh, anger, uh, you, you get so many people who get on their Facebook page and share a stupid post and want to rant and rave about something. To me, about 90% of that is contrived, it seems like. Um, I, I get so tired of that. And I like to talk about the places where progress is being made. And that is something that has happened recently. Uh, those, those of you who follow the public land scene know that the Senate in February passed a bill I think it was S-47. Uh, I've tried to find a name for it. Uh, I'm not sure what it is. I think it's just called the Public Lands Package. And the, the interesting part of it was an effort was made in the lame duck Congress to try to get that passed and it got killed and uh, didn't make it. Well, when Congress, Congress reconvened in January of 2019, uh, the Republicans in the Senate got it through the committee. Actually, I, I think it was the committee members who actually said, no, they're, I, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to say this in the wrong way. So I, our guest is going to be able to tell you how it really happened. But the point of it is this, there were uh, a group of Republicans in the Senate that really wanted to see this bill pass. And if you think about it, when the Republicans control the Senate and the Democrats control the House and the Republican controls the White House, you are not going to get something passed unless you have buy-in from all sides. So how could you have a Senate vote that was, I think it was 90, 90 some voted in favor and eight voted against. I remember the eight that voted against uh, <laughs> causes you to scratch your head and say, what was it that caused you to vote against something that 90% of your peers thought was a great piece of legislation? So uh, Senate Bill 47 passed the Senate. Uh, 
And the Republicans uh, pushed it through there. And then over in the House, the Democrats committed that they would take it and they would leave it virtually unchanged, I think. Uh, And by the time this podcast drops, the president will have signed the bill. And that bill even though it's 662 pages and it's going to have its few pieces in there that are, you can call them pork or pet projects or whatever. That's how legislation unfortunately gets made. The totality of it is such a huge win for conservation and public lands. Uh, you read some of the the headlines and it talks about, you know, this is a once in a generation's land uh, piece of land, public land legislation. It's a once in a generation uh, conservation bill. Uh, seems that everybody uh, who, who's read it, who's looked at it, agrees that in spite of the few little bumps and warts in there, uh, it, it it is, I know I've been involved in, it, in this stuff for 30 years and it's the biggest piece of legislation that I've seen uh, related to public lands. In the the big part of it is you've heard us talk many times about the land and water conservation fund, and so we don't have because we don't have that much time for our guest. Uh, he's on a very very tight calendar. I'm going to explain in advance what LWCF land and water conservation fund what that is. In 1990 or 1964, the year I was born, uh, Congress passed LWCF, passed it overwhelmingly. And what it did is it took a small portion of the royalties from offshore drilling and put them in an account. And that account is to be used to help pay for uh public benefit of parks, of roads, of trails, of access, of public lands. And some of it gets allocated to, they call it the state side, it gets allocated on a per capita basis. In other words, if your state is 5% of the population of the country, you get your state gets awarded or allocated 5% of the royalties that year. The other portion of it, the bigger portion historically has been what they call the federal side. In other words, you submit projects to the fund, I call it, and the fund is used either by the BLM, Bureau of Land Management, but mostly by the Forest Service. So you submit projects that get graded and scored and those projects get funded partially or wholly by LWCF monies. So... 1964, Congress passes LWCF. Now we have this royalty stream that is supposed to be part of the the funding mechanism. And the principle of it was we're depleting one public asset, the offshore oil reserves. We should use some of that money to replace or create or benefit a new public asset or other public assets, i.e. our public lands and parks. And so we go forward with that. It had a 50-year sunset on it. So you do the math, 1964. It expired in 2014. And you heard a lot of us talking about it. And we've been operating on one and two and I think, I can't remember, these really short-term extensions of the program with hardly any funding. Right now, if you fully funded it, there's $900 million a year of royalties that go into that account. And in years when Congress doesn't fully fund it, which I think in my lifetime, it's only been fully funded one time. Uh, I think that was in 2002 or three, if I remember right. So 
The rest of the money, I have no idea what Congress is doing with it, but it's not going into LWCF. Um, so <laughs> this is a, a long explanation of a very important program. If you hunt in the West, if you have city parks or, or bike paths or all kinds of things, even in your states that don't have a huge amount of public lands, you have been a beneficiary of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. And the reason it's so important to Western public land hunting issues is that you, you read about and you hear about, in fact, I think TRCP, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partners, just put out last year their big report about how much landlocked, uh, inaccessible federal land there is. Well, what LWCF, LWCF is used for in many instances is to go and fill in these, uh, I'll call them in-holdings, where maybe a road goes through a piece of private and that private landowner or that piece of private ground controls access to thousands of acres of public land behind it. Well, LWCF is probably, not probably, is the biggest funding mechanism to solve those problems. It makes management easier. It makes access easier. It makes fire management and fire control way easier. So that is how the Land and Water Conservation Fund is benefiting those of us who love public lands. And it had expired last year. Uh, Congress just let it die. And this Congress decided, you know what, we're going to do something about it. And if you read the, the press, at least the press that I subscribe to, you would not know who the important people are who pushed this forward. And one of those people, the, the most important player on the Republican side happens to be Senator Steve Daines from Montana. And he is going to be my guest on the podcast here. He's uh, about ready to show up here. Uh, very, very busy guys. You can imagine when a Senator comes home for a weekend, him giving me an hour of his time as like I found a gold nugget under underneath my boot or something. Uh, but I, I, I've read so much of the press and Senator Daines did an amazing amount of work. He got the, the leadership on the Republican side. He, he built a coalition of Republicans to say, this is really important to us. And without that happening on the Republican side in the Senate, you don't have a bill. Because if the Democrats bring a bill forward in the Senate, the Republican is probably going to die. If it's a Democratic bill that comes forward from the House, when it goes over to the Senate, it's probably going to die. Or it's going to get so watered down. So here we have this group of Republicans who craft this bill and they do it with bipartisan support. And that's one thing... Uh, I've talked to Senator Daines many times. He's always quick to, to shower praise on everybody else. I know in the podcast, he'll probably give credit to uh, the Democrats, to his fellow Republicans. He'll, he'll probably take no credit for anything, which is fine. But I, one of the benefits I've had in my time of building these platforms and service on the boards of national organizations is... I get to be involved in a lot of the Washington, D.C. discussions, and I don't talk about it that much because you get 
relationships and confidences are built. And so you, you, me, uh, through this process, I get to see the inside workings on a lot of this land and conservation policy and legislation. So I get to, I don't have to rely on the news to know who did what. I, I, me and, and just by, by benefit of, of my circumstance, me and a few others, we get often asked to input and, and, and provide thoughts and ideas on some of this stuff. There's, there's a lot of us who do, a lot of the organizations. And, and uh, I, I feel that I'm lucky that I get this, uh, I'll call it a window to the world I otherwise wouldn't get. And I know who's doing the work and who's not. And if I were to read all of the news wires, all of the newspapers of how this Senate bill got passed... I would never come to the understanding or conclusion that Senator Steve Dane did as much as he did. They, they, the, I call it the laziness of the media. I don't care what topic it is. They want to have a standard narrative and that's what they want to stick to. And those of you in the media who are listening to this, I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> the laziness uh, frustrates me. As a result, we end up with the same message all the time. It ends up being a message of conflict and strife, uh, the one side versus the other. Well, in this instance, it was not that. It was bipartisan. If, if you can think about what other piece of legislation would gain the vote of 90 senators, 90 in the U.S. Senate. What would get the vote of, I think it was, if I remember right, 360 Congress people out of the 435? That's unbelievable. So it, it, it shows how much work went into this, how much thought, how much just compromise and, and helping people understand the importance and having to make your sales pitch. Because when you think about all of the issues on the national level, there is not a lot of priority given to public lands. As much as we out in the West, or those of us who, no matter where you live, you hunt and you fish and you use public lands, as much as we think public land should be way up towards the top of the list, there's the majority of America and the majority of their elected officials, public lands are way, way down the list. So for something like this to happen is big news. Uh, I give all that preface because I want to make sure that people understand how much work and effort Senator Daines put into this. Um, I, I, back to my point of I think you have to make sure that when people do good work, they hear about it. Because in today's world, it's uh, the easy thing is to just criticize. And... In August of 2018, I had Senator John Tester, a Democrat from Montana, on my podcast. And I had him on there because he's done a ton of good work for public lands. And now, and when I did that, the normal everyone, not everyone, so many people whine and snivel because, oh, he's a Democrat. Well, now that I have the opposite side, uh, someone like Senator Daines, I'm sure I'm going to get the same grief from other people because, oh, why well, do you have him on there? He's a Republican. Well, get used to it, folks. If you haven't sorted this out by now, 
I don't give a damn about parties. I give a damn about people who are getting stuff done. Stuff that helps public lands, hunting, and conservation. And that's what our next guest did. Uh, I don't know if he'll get into the details of how he did it and how he, he helped. With, with, and I say he, he's my guest, so I'm going to give him all the credit he deserves. And he's going to quickly say, oh, no, my, my, you know, my, my friend on this committee or my, my fellow senator, blah, blah, blah. I, I know that's how he'll do it. He always does. Uh, but don't necessarily believe everything you read about the narratives of how things get done. Because sometimes things get written in a way where it, it leads you to a conclusion that may not be the full story. Or th- certain things are omitted. And that's what, in this case, what, what is frustrating for me is how much of this story has been omitted from how this public lands package got put together. So... That's what you're going to hear for the next hour. Maybe, yeah, I hope it's an hour. Um, if I can get an hour out of a U.S. senator, oh, man, I'm going to take it. So I hope I've given some background there about Senate Bill 47, how important it is, how it came together. And now we're going to hear from Senator Daines about how that all came together from, from his perspective. Because think about it. He's got a... Kind of, I don't know if I, I'm going to be saying this the right way. He might say, what the heck, Randy? But no matter what the legislation is, you have people in your own party who are probably not going to agree with what you want to do. And this was the case here. There were critics of this legislation that Senator Daines had to deal with in his own party. And that's harder. I mean, it's easy to disagree with the, the other side. I mean, both sides do it, right? Oh, I'm against it because they're for it, or I'm for it because they're against it. Well, the real art of getting stuff done is making sure those within your own party don't kill your good ideas or, or that you can find a way to navigate that in spite of some of their differences. So he did a great job of that also. Anyhow, I could go on and on and on. This bill was the culmination of so much work by so many people for so many years. Uh, this sportsman's package that had, gets defeated every year, there's a bunch of features from the sportsman's package that got put into this bill. This public lands package and some derivative has been brought forth through Congress. For, I can't even remember how many times a derivative of this bill has been brought to Congress. But the bill is 660-some pages long. I scanned it. I didn't read it all, but I've, I've read most of it in a, in a fast read. And to get something like that passed, something that big passed, 90 votes in the Senate and 360 in the House, whew, there is hope for America. Uh, maybe but before uh i have the senator show up here uh i better get these uh intros done i want to thank leupold for making this podcast possible uh leupold optics uh go out to leupold.com check them out 
If you haven't seen some of the stuff we've been using in the last year, we get to use a lot of the prototypes and it's cool stuff. Their 2019 product lineup, whether it's the same old gold ring, wonderful rifle scopes you've known for forever that you've come to trust or their new products. Uh, they got new range finders, new spotting scopes, new binos out this year. Go to leopold.com, check them out. And when you're buying optics, uh, I hope that you'll, you'll strongly consider them because they are supporting us in a big way. Orion Coolers, uh, orioncoolers.com. That's where you go to find the, the best coolers I know of. And if you use promo code Randy, R-A-N-D-Y, they're going to give you 20% off your purchase of a cooler. Orioncoolers.com. Onyx Maps. Oh, gosh. I was meeting with the Onyx guys last week. The number of ideas and cool things they got going on is just incredible. And the amount of use I get out of their product is, well, it's incredible also. <laughs> but onyxmaps.com, they have a promo code also. It's promo code Randy. If you go out there and use that promo code, they're going to give you 20% off any app purchases that you might make for your smartphone apps. And I would strongly suggest you do that. Uh, whatever you might spend on your hunting, the small amount that you're going to spend to buy the Onyx system relative to the amount of value it provides, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Just go and do it. Don't even hesitate. Onyxmaps.com, use promo code Randy. And gohunt.com, we're, we're about, I'd say, two-thirds away through what we call application season. And in application season, we use the GoHunt system just, uh, their insider is how we end up with as many tags as we do. They, they have a kind of a subtitle to their brand. Uh, it was, uh, I, I think it was called, or is called uh, Be Your Own Hunting Consultant. And the information that is out there at the Insider lets you be just that. It, the, the draw odds are the best. The, the strategy articles of how to draw tags, how to build a strategy in multiple states for multiple species or for any species, and how to have a short-term plan, a mid-term plan, and a long-term plan is laid out unbelievably well out at GoHunt. So GoHunt.com, use promo code Randy, and they're going to give you $50 of free credit in their gear shop. Yeah. $50 of free credit in their gear shop when you use promo code Randy. And with that, uh, I'm here at the office of Senator Steve Danes, and we're going to hit the button here now. I think he's ready. And uh, when you hear a little click, uh, we'll have Senator Danes on the podcast. I think this will be a good one. Thanks for being here. All right, folks, I told you I was here in Bozeman on this snowy March weekend with somebody who grew up here, uh, hunts, fishes, uh, pretty fanatic about it, actually. Every time we encounter each other, we tell hunting stories, <laughs> and that is Senator Steve Danes. Senator, welcome to our podcast. Hey, Randy, thanks for having me. I I know how busy you are, and so the fact that you would carve out a little time to talk about hunting and fishing on public land is, well, me, I'm very grateful, and I know our audience is grateful, because 
I think most people have this perception that if you decide you want to be in Congress, you must be some urban person. And you you don't quite fit that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, as, uh, uh, as I said, I don't, I don't live in Washington, D.C. I, yeah. I work back there, but I don't live back there. In yeah. fact, uh, back there, I've got a very modest little apartment that I rent. Uh-huh. I don't have a car back there. You don't? I don't. No. So I, I walk back and forth to work. Okay. And if I have to get somewhere else in town, you know, I'll grab an Uber. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, uh, I, I want to have a minimum uh, footprint there in, uh, <laughs> in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Somebody said, don't, don't drive your tent stakes in too deep, right? Yeah. And uh, I haven't. I, I, uh, and that's because uh, that, truly my, my, my passion, my love of, the, of this state is Montana. I, yeah. You know, my, uh, my great-great-grandma came out here in uh, uh, right at the turn of the century, early 1900s. And I've, I've always oh, wow. said I, I, didn't, I didn't get to pick Montana. Montana picked me because yeah. I didn't get to control you know, my ancestors, none no. of us do, nope. right? Uh, and I'm just thankful that I had ancestors that decided that uh, uh, she was a Norwegian uh-huh. uh, and she, uh, she homesteaded up by Conrad, Montana. Okay. So, in fact, uh, she's buried 23 miles east of Conrad, right by the Golden West Lutheran Church. Those Norwegians, they were all Lutherans. Yeah. She was a charter member of that church. Uh, in fact, she's buried there, Karen Dirud, and then my great-grandpa and great-grandma are both buried in that same little country cemetery. Wow. And then my grandpa, now we're coming to the third generation, uh, he was born in Conrad, uh, and to this day, I know he would wish he was buried in that same cemetery, but grandpa, uh-huh. grandpa spent a lot of years in Billings, but then he passed away in Seattle. Oh. They didn't have the finances to move him, yeah. you know, the move bury him in Montana. Yeah. But th- those are the, the roots. And then mom and dad uh, moved to uh, Bozeman 1964. And uh, in fact, mom and dad uh, were, uh, were at the University of Montana. My dad was going to school there. Uh, a young Marine. Uh-huh. My mom is pregnant with me uh, <laughs> at 19. Oh my goodness. And, and uh. she's putting my dad through school working at the Missoula Merck. Uh, and, uh, in fact, that, uh, young Marine who was also Sigma Chi at the University of Montana was a fraternity brother and a Marine served with, uh, Bobby Houck Sr. The father of the, the football father of a guy friend. that I, you know, was a Bobcat. Right. I understand his son won a few football games <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, and John Bollinger, our, uh, our former Lieutenant Governor, Brian Schweitzer. Yeah. They were all Sigma Chi's and Marines serving together at the same time at the same time and mom is working in the hat and glove department at the <laughs> missoula merc putting that marine through school pregnant with me oh and it, at seven months pregnant with me dad graduates from the university of montana and uh could not find a job in montana he wrote letters he got a business degree wrote letters everywhere they want right. to stay here and uh, he's pretty frightened here he's got a, a baby coming so he got a job in los angeles so they moved to la I'm born. Because uh-huh. I know when people say, were you born and raised in Montana? I can't say I was born here. Uh-huh. It was Los Angeles, and they hated Southern California. Yeah. With all due respect to Southern California. <laughs> and they, they loaded up the U-Haul and moved back to Bozeman in 1964. I'm a year old. Okay. And uh-huh. so, so, Randy, this is Bozeman's been home for me. That's all my memories. Yeah. Uh, and I remember I caught my first, my first trout 
my first fish on Sourdough Creek, like wow. a lot of Bozeman kids do. Yeah. And it was south of town. There were no houses. I mean, this is in the, in the late 60s. There were no houses anywhere, you know, south of uh, pretty much Keggy was yeah. kind of where it was. That was, Keggy was a dirt road back then, <laughs> literally. <laughs> anyone, yeah. so anyone who's been to Bozeman, trying to envision what you're describing has to be thinking, oh, see, <laughs> Senator, you must be 100 years old. <laughs> well, I met Lewis and Clark, and they were pretty good guys. Uh, but uh, that, that was my growing up, and, and I, I developed a passion for the outdoors thanks to my grandpa Danes from Billings, W.R. Danes, and my, uh, and my dad. In fact, uh, I've got a picture and a set of horns in our basement of a moose my dad killed up the picket pin there, uh, the West Fork of the Stillwater. They're outside Whoa. of Columbus, up yeah. in the National Forest there. Dad killed a great big moose. Moose, you don't see that much anymore in Montana that size. On public yeah. lands uh, with my grandpa, and he was 16, and this picture made it in Sports Illustrated. No way. In the 1955 edition. <laughs> And so I've got those horns and that Sports Illustrated. Uh, it's kind of like a shrine in our house. But that, yeah. that kind of illustrates kind of where my passions came from. You know, it was my dad and my grandpa. And then as I start to get, I went through hunter safety uh, uh, at Wilson Middle School here. Because I went to kindergarten at Longfellow School in Bozeman through mm-hmm. fourth grade. And then Wilson Middle School was fifth and sixth grade back then. And um, went through hunter safety and by the way, the hunter safety program is so much improved from what it was when I was a kid. They kind of take us through the book and then t- take a right. test and you go, now it's, it's yeah. just a wonderful program as I took all my kids through it. Here. Yeah. You, I, you may not remember this, but when your son was going through hunter safety, every, every night uh, you and I ended up sitting next to oh, each other. Oh, that's right. In yeah. Like 1990, I can't remember. That's what it right, was. Randy. Or in 2003 or four. Yeah. Or something like yeah. That. I wasn't in politics then. Yeah. I was just, I was, <laughs> you were working though. <laughs> Used to make an honest living back then. Yeah, that's how I've known. Yeah. I, I would you you know yeah, us hardly right. even knowing each other. Yeah, we'd sit there while the kids are are studying and and listening. We're swapping hunting stories. Mm-hmm. So when you got into politics, I'm like, oh man, finally we got we got a hunter who's who's going to get into politics here. That that's going to be a good thing. Randy, so. I uh, you know, like you, I. I live for those moments. And, and I tell you what, what really was a defining moment for me, when my, my grandpa Danes, it was Wes Danes from, Bo, from Billings, when my grandpa passed away, and I had all these wonderful memories of uh, early fly fishing trips. I, as I say, I was fly fishing before Brad Pitt ruined it for the rest <laughs> of us. Uh, you know, I had a browning Siloflex, those old school rods and an automatic <laughs> reel and uh, a, a, a wicker creel. And it was the old school, you know, late 60s, 70s fly fishing but, in Montana. But with that setup, you were a styling guy in the fishing well, world. I had no idea. I was styling. All I know is grandpa said, here's what you're going to use, Steve. <laughs> and and I, early days, I remember I put my arms, I hook them around my grandpa's neck. Uh-huh. And we've all done this with our kids. We're waiting now. And we didn't have the really nice Sims waders <laughs> that we all have today and the big fancy fly boxes and the big fancy nope. everything. It was just, you know, was, we call them irrigation boots now, yeah. right? Yeah. That we'd slip on. And Grandpa had a little pair for me. And I, put, I hooked my arms around his neck and he'd carry me across the creek. Mm. And, and then he'd, uh, he'd give me a, a fly rod. And, he'd, and early on, he'd cast he'd, and he'd hook a fish sometimes. He'd give it to me to try to reel it in. That's that when I began learning how to fly fish. Mm. But we fish with one fly. And we fish up on the sweet grass there off uh, there north of Big Timber early days. 
And uh, I only thought there was one fly. It was a bitch crick. <laughs> I mean, I'd, and then Grandpa introduced me to a woolly bug. Okay. It was, but it was a bitch crick, and that's all you need. Back then, it was a tremendous brown trout fishery in its day, and they had some drought issues and some flooding issues and other things over the years. But that, that stream still fishes very well. Huh. But, uh, but that was the early days and developed this passion for the outdoors. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember the day you were killing that first antelope, uh, that first whitetail, that first mule deer. But, but when my grandpa died years ago, we were at his funeral in Billings, and um, Grandpa's life was all about fishing and hunting. That's, that's, he lived for that, yeah. as we all do. Yeah. I mean, not all of us, but we do, Randy, and, and many who are listening here. <laughs> yeah. and, and at his funeral, every picture on the table and when they did the slideshow mm-hmm. were fishing and hunting pictures. Cool. And I was in a lot of them. And it was that sad moment saying goodbye to a man I loved dearly. But I thought about these memories I had, and I was so grateful for them. Yeah. Because life goes by so fast. For sure. And I said to myself, and our kids, Randy, we were talking about our kids going through hunter safety together. Um, our kids were just coming of age. Of, of uh, This is before the apprentice program, so 12 was the magic age back yep. then to hunt. And I said, you know what? Someday, you know, we're all gonna, we're all gonna uh, leave this earth. I want to make sure I've made a lot of memories of my kids. And so I, back then I was in the software business here in Bozeman, right now Technologies, and I would take a week off every fall, a whole week from Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday through Friday, and like Saturday and Sunday. So it was the full bookend both sides yeah. in the fall, and we'd hunt. And I am so grateful because the memories I have with both my boys and girls, we have two boys and two girls, mm-hmm. You never get those years back, Randy. No. Anyway, I, I, so that that, uh, that and those are the years. Now I mean, our kids are gone. We had our first grandchild here. Uh, Man, you're uh, lucky. I, yeah. No. Not you know. I, Grandpa was the old guy. I thought about. Now I is one. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I've, I've been. Uh, people who listen to this podcast know that I have a uh, a standing offer. If they can convince my son to propose and marry his girlfriend of seven years, there's a $4,000 commission involved to anybody who can make that work. Really? Yeah, because I need some grandkids. You know, if I'm going to take him to the wow, lake Randy, every would... week and spoil those grandkids, he's got to get with the program. Tell you what, that would get a really nice rifle and some nice glass on top, but I got to yeah. go. That's a, that's a bounty. <laughs> I may pursue that. <laughs> uh, well, the, 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 and part of it is driven by those same memories you talk about. And I yeah. think people listening understand exactly what you mean. That, yeah. that when people ask me, and I get the question a lot. What are your favorite hunting memories? Every one of them involves something with me and my son. Mm-hmm. I, if I shot the biggest animal on the mountain, it yeah. really didn't matter compared to when he had he shot his first elk in the Missouri River Breaks. Yep. He was one of those lucky people. First time he applies for the rifle tag, he draws. Huh. And opening, we go and scout opening morning, he shoots just this tremendous elk. And I am doing handstands and flips and cartwheels, hooting and yelling. And he looks at me, Dad, it's just an elk. I'm like, no, son, you yeah. have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much more than just an elk. He'll understand someday. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, is so true. That moment, and uh, I've, I've been with my kids laying prone on a, a shot on an antelope uh, when there's been a miss too. Yeah. And uh, I remember, <laughs> I'll leave the child's name anonymous now, laying there side by side. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're doing good. You got him in the scope. Yep. We're breathing okay. Yep. We're doing the, we're working through our breathing here and the gentle squeeze, everything you work with uh, is you're practicing. And, yeah. and uh, 
And I'll remember um, one of my children, and again, we'll name, remain anonymous. Protect the innocent. Yes, I will. Uh, I had my rangefinder. I had this antelope at about, a, about, uh, about 180 yards. And uh, I, I don't want to say he or she here because I'll give it away. So I just said, <laughs> <laughs> my child. My child. I says, do you have it? All right, yep. Okay, just give her a squeeze. And when you're ready to go, this is the first time ever I've seen an animal in a scope now, right? Because mm-hmm. we've done all the practice at the range. We've been out in the field just practicing some, some dry fires, all the things you do. Had a good prone rest, no, no wind. Squeezes right over the top. I saw the splash right over the top of it, runs off. Pretty good buck. And I looked at my child <laughs> and I said, I think you were a little high. And uh, my child said, um, well, I was aiming a little high. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean you're aiming a little high? He says, well, that's a long ways away. <laughs> because 180 yards, that still looks like, yeah, it's like a long right. ways away, right? Yeah. And so uh, my child uh, compensated for that and decided to shoot a little bit high. Yeah. And I said, you know, um, that gun is spot on. You put that crosshairs behind that shoulder, we're going to have a dead antelope. Yeah. But, and, uh, but I was far more disappointed mm-hmm. than my child was. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. She said, "Dad," and and I was like, I was like, really, it really hurt me more than it hurt her. Uh-huh. It did anyway. That was fun. It was. Uh, but then you know what? She uh, she lined up here later in the day. We got another good sneak and, and drilled a really good goat. So anyway, yeah. it all worked out. Yeah. Well, it's those times that uh, I I think it's those memories that bring us to these discussions we have about hunting, fishing, conservation, public lands, access, all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think about for me and my family, uh, how important public lands and all that Montana has to offer. Mm-hmm. And even where I grew up in a little logging town in Northern Minnesota, I had public land right out my back door. Yeah. And I, I took it for granted. And then I go off to college in these bigger cities and there's no place to hunt. I'm like, I, I'm thinking I'm going to go crazy. And then coming back and, and ending up here in Montana almost 28 years ago, uh, I just, uh, I, I no longer take for granted uh, these great public land places we have. And, and they're full of memories, talking about the Missouri breaks with my son and mm-hmm. the number of grouse he and my, my wife. If there's a grouse in the woods and my wife has a shotgun, that grouse is in trouble. <laughs> so up here south of town, there's a lot of grouse. And yeah. uh, uh, so uh, it's just memories like that, yeah. that it, it's hard to tell someone who hasn't built that connection to these lands and, and uh-huh. conservation of them how important that is. You know, you think about what sets America apart uh, from the rest of the world. Europe can be a great place to visit. Uh, You see these beautiful castles and chateaus and so forth. But if you want to hunt over there, you have to have the right great, 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 great grandparents. You have to come from royalty. It's blood. You think about our founding fathers rebelled against the king. All that, yeah. And they said, we the people. And it is truly a part of the great American idea that a mom or a dad, an aunt or an uncle, can take a child, a son, daughter, niece, nephew, grandson, granddaughter, you go down to Walmart and buy an elk tag over the counter here in Montana. Yeah. And you can be, you can have access to a place of an elk habitat in less than 30 minutes. Uh. 
that is a remarkable um, opportunity that we have here that must be protected because we never, ever would want to see uh, moving this thing to the tier system that exists in places like Europe and, frankly, most places in the world. Yep. And, frankly, most places in this country at the end of the day yeah. where they don't have <laughs> the public lands. You know, that, that public land line draws about... You know, I, I always, it's about the north-south line between Montana and North Dakota is about where it's at. When you look at a map of the United States, mm-hmm. you think about our federal lands, it's really um, west of there. Most, the majority of it. It is where it's at, right? I mean, yeah. where it's, it's, it's the most easily accessible. And, and that just levels the playing field for everybody. That yeah. uh, no matter what your economic uh, situation is, you know, you can still... You can get an elk tag at Walmart and get on and get into public lands and hunt. Yeah, that to me that's so special and it creates this some people say, Newberg, you have this missionary zeal about public lands. Uh, and yeah, I do. Because of those things that you mentioned. I mm-hmm. I went through a period of about six years in my life where it was not available to me. And I will never forget that. And now that I get to travel as much as I do and I'm interacting with so many hunters, they, in talking with their stories, they remind me how lucky I am and how lucky we are in America with the public lands that, that we have available to us. It's, you know, you, you mentioned, Randy, your, your memory with your son out in the CMR. And uh, uh, one year, it's, it's been... Over 10 years, maybe 12 years ago. Time goes by fast. But both my son and I drew uh, an either sex tag. For elk. For elk. <laughs> and, you know, when you, when you, and, and so often when you wave your draw, you get the not successful. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I, I, in fact, I, I just, and, and for listeners, of course, March 15th, the deadline's coming it, here. I don't know yeah, when exactly. this is going to air, Randy, but the, make sure public service announcement. Yeah. Go, I mean, how many times have you missed? I, a deadline. A deadline like that, right? Yeah. It goes by so quick. So, I, in fact, I just put in for my um, uh, my special tag yesterday, literally online. <laughs> uh, and, in fact, I went back to that seven, I think it's at seven, what's that? It's that CMR. Yeah, 700, 701, yep, the south side. It's about, a, yeah, south side of, of the yeah. of, uh, Fort Peck. And you, know, you got about a 10% shot, I think, there, which is, you know, yeah. you can always try to win the lottery there in some of those places. But I thought one out of 10 is not too bad, building up bonus points. Anyway, yeah. one year my son and I both drew that tag. I mean, it's been, again, years ago. So um, that's one of my great memories was, uh, was, was uh, you know, we, we and, and I, you know, I know they've got the big 350 plus bulls out there, but I'll tell you what, we hunted hard for five days mm-hmm. and it's like finding a needle in a haystack because you're glassing so far. It's, it reminds me more of a, uh, when we were rifle, not archery, it reminds me more of almost like an antelope or a mule deer hunt. You know, and we there. spotted, you know, I, I had a, I had about a, literally about a, almost a five mile sneak on a bull I finally got. And he was probably about a two, he's probably a 280 class kind of bull. I mm-hmm. mean, beautiful six by six. And I was very happy with that. But the memory yeah. of both my son and I knocking down two bulls out there is something, um, you know, you never forget. You don't get yeah. to do that very often. No, it's remarkable. Yeah. Well, part of what, brought us to this point of saying, you know, let's finally do a podcast was a recent piece of legislation that you had a very big hand in. Mm. Uh, Does it have a title of Senate Bill 47? We we just called it the land package, Randy, is what it was called. Yep. Well, 
reading it, it's 662 pages. Yeah. That, that that's like yeah. <laughs> most of the legislation you read is 10 pages, mm-hmm. 20 pages. Mm-hmm. This is like a serious piece of legislation yeah. to yeah. try and move something that big with that many pieces. Mm-hmm. Right. Is it is it easier to move something big or something small through it, the process? It depends. Okay. Generally, the bigger it is, the harder it is. Okay. Because they just get to be too complicated and they will sometimes implode by their own weight. Um, you look at what this lands package had. Uh, it was really a, a culmination of probably hundreds of years of total effort. If you look at cumulative effort that went into it, mm-hmm. that was pulled together in this one package, there were 100 to 120 bills actually in it. And, and they were scattered all over the country. Uh, smaller kind of projects, larger projects. And Republicans and Democrats had their bills in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you think about what, what it takes to get it built to that point. You know, it starts out, some of these were very you know, locally driven, collaborative efforts where you've got a, a community that comes together. Like the, like the Yellowstone Gateway Protection Act. Right. Um, there's an example where, now that one went, relatively speaking, pretty fast, even though it was years in the making, sometimes it's decades in the making. Mm-hmm. But you've, you've get the business leaders together, the, um, the county officials, the state legislators, the private landowners that are in the area that are all get behind some, as well as the total community that use the public lands. And uh, they put that together and it took about four years. Remember when, when Colin Davis come back, came back to DC the first time with, you know, he's with Ch- owns Chico Hot Springs mm-hmm. there. Uh, I say, Colin, this is going to take it's going to take a while. I wish it could go faster, but it's going to take a package. It won't pass the standalone bill. I've seen this before. In fact, I was um, part of when we passed that North Fork of the Flathead right. withdrawal and the Heritage Act, which, mm-hmm. which was one of the first uh, wilderness bills to move through Montana in over 20 years. Right. The, uh, the Rocky Mountain Front. On the Heritage Rocky Mountain Act. Front. They're exactly on the, um, on the east side uh, yeah. of the front there, on the Shoto Augusta area. Uh, that was some I led on the House side with John Boehner and Republicans in control of the House. And then uh, John Tester and then Max Baucus were leading on the Senate side with Harry Reid in charge and President Obama was in the White House. Mm-hmm. And we worked together and got that through. But it took a package. And I saw that if you're going to move something to divided government, it takes even an undivided government, if you have a unified, it still takes bipartisan support. So back to what we saw happen here in this last package is it, it was a, um, uh, we almost got it past that package in December. Right. And um, uh, I had one of my colleagues, a Republican, that uh, objected. Yeah. And, and I brought that up on a prior podcast, so that's not news to our audience. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, we, it's like being, it, it, it felt like this when the Seahawks were at the one yard line and on the Super and Bowl And they there, decided to throw they decided a pass to throw the ball. Instead of have Marshawn Lynch run it. <laughs> All they needed to do, and it was, it was like third down, right? Third yeah. and a half a yard. Yeah. So just hand the ball <clears> off. Yeah. So for our audience that's listening, they're probably saying, how can one Senate, what are the Senate rules that allow one Senator to keep that package yeah. from going forward. Right. So we were trying to move this through in what they call the lame duck session. Lame yep. duck is between elections and when the new Congress sits. So between the you know, first week of November to and January 1st. Yep. Um, and so there's a way to short circuit the process and move something quickly 
with unanimous consent, it's called. Uh, and, so, and we use that quite often. Something that's non-controversial, we mm-hmm. call it. And so everybody says, yep, yep, let's just get that through. It's the right thing to do. And so everybody just agrees, and 100 to zero, you move it through. So to do the land package at that moment in time, I get it done before the Congress ended, we needed to have unanimous consent. And that takes 100 to zero for the right. senators. 100 cent, two from each state, so there's 100 senators. Yeah. So you got to have a 100 to zero yeah. vote. So 99 to one doesn't cut it. That's the Seahawks, the one yard line of throwing the interception. <laughs> and that, that's exactly what happened. Oh, and, and it, frust- it was frustrating for me. And I, yeah. I spent a lot of time quietly, mm-hmm. you know, talking in offices and otherwise with, with some of my colleagues who were, um, were not supporting us at the moment. I respect their point of view, you always do, right. but I disagreed. Mm-hmm. Anyway, when we saw we weren't going to get it passed, um, it was actually uh, Martin Heinrich Center from New Mexico, New Mexico and yeah. I. And Martin's an avid outdoorsman. He, he is. We, we, we love, you know, we, <laughs> during the fall, you know, if you ever see us on C-SPAN on the floor, I mean, not, if, if your listeners are watching C-SPAN, they, they need to get a more exciting life. But <laughs> anyway, if you happen to turn by on C-SPAN, you might see us on the floor of the Senate, you know, and, and there we're all in our suits and ties, and we might be looking at our cell phones together here. And, uh, we're probably comparing hunting stories, and yeah. I'm not making this up. Martin, Martin's a Democrat in Mexico, a Republican from Montana, and uh, he loves to hunt, loves to hunt elk, yeah. loves to bow hunt. And, uh, uh, and so Martin and I went about to say, we're going to go talk to Mitch McConnell. The we're Senate ta- Majority Leader. Senate Majority Leader, yep. And Chuck Schumer, the Senate Minority Leader. Yep. Nancy Pelosi. In the then House. The, then the income would be the Speaker. And then Kevin McCarthy, who's the House Majority Leader from California, and get their agreement that uh, when we come back in January with the new Congress, you will make this a high priority and give us a shot in January at the latest February. Mm. And they all agreed. That was a remarkable moment because typically lands, packages, they will tend to get set maybe on the back burner compared to you know, oh. court nominations, defense appropriate. I mean, there's yeah. all these important things that, that government take up the time. Does, yeah. Just running government. Now, those of us out West think the lands package is, is a high priority. <laughs> and uh, sometimes we get outnumbered because just population-wise, we don't have as many people as they have on the east side of this country. Yeah. But the good news was they agreed to it. So sure enough, I happened to be presiding over the Senate in January one night, and there's called Rule 14. What Rule 14 is, is, is when the majority leader, McConnell, comes down, he says, I wanna, I'm going to do Rule 14 on the lands package. What that means is it, it short circuits the process. In other words, it immediately moves that, pulls it out of committee and right to the floor of the United States Senate for consideration. So the Senate can either move at the speed of drying paint uh-huh. or it can move at the speed of light. Okay. And there we saw it move fast. Wow. And it was thrilling to watch that. So now we got a live round uh, using a little hunting terminology yep. <laughs> here there on the floor of the United States Senate. And so Martin and I are texting each other and says, Martin, to find out how you guys are doing on your side, I'll find out my side here because we didn't want any reindeer games to go on here right. to try to, try yeah. to uh, stop this. Make a long story short, he said, I think we got it okay on my side. And I said, Martin, we've got a few problems on my side because I'm going to have some amendments. So members can offer amendments on the floor. At that time. At that time. And so one of the strategies I've seen in the past is someone will try to interject amendments to almost kill something. Yeah. Through amendment process. Right. And uh, sometimes these amendments are, are just kind of malicious and they're yeah. trying to kill it. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're very sincere, mm-hmm. but they'll end up killing the bill. Yeah. And uh, sometimes malicious in the eyes of the beholder. But I'll say this. There were a couple of amendments there that would have been, we call them poison pills. Mm-hmm. A poison pill then would 
take a, uh, take away the votes and the bill would die. Okay. And there were a couple of poison pill amendments from the Republican side. Uh-huh. And, um, uh, and so we had to work to kill those amendments. Hmm. So I'm working... Uh, in this situation, as a Republican, working to kill Republican amendments. But does and, that make you a AK? <laughs> I mean, you think about it. You no. know, it's, it, Randy, it, you know what it makes me a Montanan. Just <laughs> because <laughs> you know, I've always said in this in state of Montana, you know, we're, folks aren't too enamored with an R or the D behind your name. No, they're not. They're not, and they show it in every election. You yeah, know? It's not, we really don't care if you got an R or D. Some a lot of folks do, but a lot of folks don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was like uh, we want to make sure MTs behind your name. This is right thing to do for our state. So anyway, um, we were able to kill these amendments, get it passed, 90 to 8. Yeah. Great vote. It went to the House. And then we got to make sure that uh, with the House changing leadership now, um, we knew a new chairman of the Resources Committee, uh, Mr. Rahalva out of Arizona. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure he didn't open it up for a bunch of changes to it. Because if he did, this tenuous balance we had could have killed the whole thing. Yeah, because if he made a bunch of changes, it would have to go to conference, correct? It would, and then, and if he would have made some changes, we might have lost some of our uh, needed Republican votes to get this thing done, and yeah. then this thing would have been toast again. Yeah. Anyway, they behave themselves. <laughs> they passed it th- <laughs> 363 to 62. Wow. Great vote. And I just got a text message last night, Andy. President Trump's going to sign this next week. On, on Wednesday. Really? Yeah, I just got, cool. got told. That, the, so so uh, you know, it's not over till it's over. Right. Got to have the president saying, gun. remember Schoolhouse Rock? Yeah. Just a bill on Capitol Hill. So yeah. uh, the president's going to sign on Wednesday. Wow. And then we'll, then we'll be official. Yep. Wow. That, as someone who, uh, I get the blessing or the curse of being involved in a lot of these discussions at the mm-hmm. national level, both mm-hmm. because of our platforms, but... For four of my six years on the board of the Elk Foundation, I chaired their government mm-hmm. affairs committee. So mm-hmm. as the board representative of that, I get to sit in on a lot of calls and get in on a lot of email chains. And it's an eye-opening process to see how these things happen in the D.C. world. Yeah, Because like you said, out here, we, we're like, what? why is this? Why, why isn't this priority number one? Yeah. Well, we are a small part of the population mm-hmm. right, relative. And so trying to convince the person from Connecticut, right. using as an example, or Florida, that this public land package needs to be the highest priority when we've got budget issues, we've got yeah. confirmations, we've right. got you whatever do. the policy issue is. Yeah. In terms of policy issues, you really got to have your game together to convince others that this is a policy issue worth putting your time into. You know what helps to frame that perspective? I believe every Congress, Randy, there's somewhere around 10,000 bills introduced. 10,000. Wow. And there's limited amount of time for consideration in committees on the floor. So it's like trying to land uh, you know, planes in a very congested airport. <laughs> You've got a lot of planes backed up and you just got to fight for some runway time. And that's what we did in this lands package. And what we also need to highlight in that lands package, of course, was the permanent reauthorization right. of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Yeah, and LWCF has been such an important program here for Montana. Oh, I, Montana. I, yeah, every time, every time I dig into those projects, like eight hundred plus so far, have been funded in Montana alone. Mm-hmm. And what I love about LWCF too, there's small projects, medium projects, and bigger projects. Yeah, and they have such an impact on a way of life here. Uh, 
when you find out that 70% of the fishing accesses in Montana yeah. have been funded through the Land and Water Conservation Fund. That's about all you need to talk about, but wait, there's more. Then you <laughs> yeah. kind of talk about all the Haskell Basin and white fishing. Talk about what we did out here on Chelsea of Bozeman on the Frog Rock accident, a trail trick there, so climbers can get Climbing. up there, you know, yeah. without having to cross through. They've got, uh, uh, they work in consolidating those, that checkerboard nature of Montana land ownership of federal, state, and private, working mm. together with landowners, the state, federal entities to provide access to our public lands. Uh, even uh, Pete's Hill here in Bozeman. Right. Yeah, my dad was part of the Gallatin Valley Land Trust back in the 90s with Chris Boyle once upon a time. Mm -hmm. they, that Main Street to the Mountains vision they had in the trail system here in Bozeman. Just everywhere you go, you find some way that LWCF has touched our state. So the fact that that's now permanently reauthorized, yep. the word permanent is really important. It's, it's, I, I can't and, even tell you how, and, <laughs> how important it is because we've, since it expired in 2014, we've been dealing with these one and two year kind of windows. Yeah. And... How do you do large landscape conservation mm -hmm. that sometimes, like you were saying earlier, these things take 10 years, 15 years. Yeah. And you're dealing with programs that only have a one or two year life expectancy. You, you, there's no predictability. Yeah. Who wants to invest all that effort in something if you don't know that the funding mechanism is going to be there? So true. The Think comes. about, you know... Um, the challenges we face in generational transfers of on private land, you've got the ranch owner or some private or some owner's got a, maybe a private inholding somewhere. Um, and, you know, grandpa, maybe our grandma's getting up in the years and maybe the next generation might have a little different view of what to do with that land mm -hmm. versus maybe the, uh, uh, the grandpa or the grandma. And if you have the uncertainty about this program, then the family sometimes say, well, I don't know. This is one more uncertainty. I've got enough uncertainty in my life anyway. Now I've got the federal government to worry about whether this thing gets reauthorized or not. Having that certainty now, I think, gives, gives us a much better way to work out sometimes these complicated land transactions that ultimately provide access for the public to get to their public lands. Yeah. So I, this is just a really, I think it's a profound moment, mm -hmm. a profound win. Yeah. It didn't get a lot of press. It got some but I think we look at what, is what we can do here for the next generation um, so that kids and grandkids truly will have what we had growing up. It, it's a really big win. And, you know, it doesn't cost a taxpayer any money either. That's it's, the other thing. About this. No, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a, someone who believes in, you know, believes in trying to balance a budget. And by the way, that's out of control in Washington, D.C. But, <laughs> but it doesn't cost a taxpayer a dime. It no. comes from offshore energy revenues. Yeah. yeah. When you go back and read the history and uh, – LWCF was passed the same year I was born, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> 1964. And uh, uh. so I've become a bit of a student of the history of mm. it. And it was a very well-accepted idea that, mm. okay, we're depleting one public resource, the mm. off offshore reserves. Let's use that money, up to $900 million of these royalties, to... In, a, in effect, replace or at least provide different public assets. Yeah. And that, that was kind of the, the gist of when you read some of the, the comments on it at the time. And so it, it's great that we, we have that program and mm -hmm. there is a funding source. The, the question everybody I'm sure is asking uh, who knows about LWCF is like, well, yeah, it's permanently reauthorized, but where's the funding? 
uh, how are we going to get full funding? Well, yeah. without having the framework in place, right, right. Th- there is no discussion about right. funding. That's really true. Yeah, I think about it, the, the, uh, the permanent reauthorization is like, is like uh, getting the ticket into the game. Yeah. Uh, but now we have a season pass. We get in there. We get there. We in there every year. You know, in the past yeah. we had we weren't sure if we we're going to get a ticket to the game or not because we got reauthorized. It now we've got a season pass. So the, thinking of it using that analogy, now we got to see how good we can get the seats. You know, yeah. and the, the better funding. And, yeah. and um, so we were what about what four hundred thirty million dollars right now? Because we got another ten million dollars in that border security package here. Right. So you know we get we get some incremental wins, but we're still less than half of where we should be at the where we once upon a time were. Mm-hmm. And the nine hundred million dollar plus level, uh, and that's that's the next hill to climb. Is yeah. it? Uh, I, I support I support the mandatory full funding of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, it's like it's like summoning Everest. You know, we're we're at Camp Six right now, or mm-hmm. Camp Five. You know, we got a couple more camps to summit. But doggone it, it's sure nice to be at a base camp. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Uh, well, I. From my standpoint, someone who watches this, and I, I'm now termed off the Elk Foundation board so I can mm. speak with full disclosure with and not uh, speaking for the Elk Foundation. I termed out last weekend. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, ah. you can do six years. And ah. I'm sure my ah. board, my fellow board members are like, about time we get rid of that ah. troublemaker. Ah. But sitting on that board, and I, I just use the Elk Foundation for an example, but you've got the Nature Conservancy, mm-hmm. you got a whole bunch of trust for public lands who do large landscape projects. Yeah. It's really hard to send your land staff out there to work on projects when there's no certainty yeah. of how, how are we going to, where are we going to find the matching dollars? Where are we going to find mm-hmm. participation? How is the Forest Service or the BLM going to be able to be part of this yeah. if they don't have LWCF? Yeah. And a lot of, w- without that, so many amazing opportunities would have went, just went by the wayside. Yeah. Because like you say, these generational transfers, I see it in my CPA life all the mm-hmm. time is grandma, grandpa, or mom and dad, the, the kids went off and, and they realize what hard work ranching or farming is and yeah. how risky it is. Right. And they say, you know, I loved it, but. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I you know, know, Randy, I see that some, and, and again, there, we all know there one size doesn't fit all, but I have seen the situations you have too where that older generation lived it and breathed it and loved it. Mm-hmm. And then the grandchildren come along and just see it as, well, you know, I've got other things I want to do. They don't see it as a priority and a passion. Right. Yeah. And we want to make sure we capture that passion that maybe that uh, older, and this can invert too. Mm-hmm. I mean, grandma and grandpa can maybe have less the passion as the grandkids, but, I, but the point is, is exactly right, is that the permanence now gives us a framework of which we can, I think, put more certainty in this process. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Right. And a lot of those people are very concerned about what happens with these lands. They do. They might be the generational people who right. are always allowed access across yep. their property. Well, Randy, we know, I mean, and we're, we're, we're uh, you know, we're, we're about the same vintage here in age, yeah. but, you know, the older you get, they start thinking more of the legacy, right? right. Kind of what you leave behind. We all recognize some point, uh, nobody gets out of this thing alive. No. And, uh, yeah. and so I think that, that, that heart for preservation, conservation, and legacy more often than not, will be with that older generation, and yep. they just want to make sure they protect it for right. future generations. Yeah. Well, this is a very important tool. If uh, 
since, since people across the country listen to our podcast, I don't want to be too Montana specific, but if you ever come to the Yellowstone area, mm. everything that you see, every mountain you drive by has an LWCF project. If you drive from Livingston to Gardner, because you're coming in the north entrance of the park, you're going to go by the Royal Teton project. That Royal Teton, 2004 and five, I believe it was, I might have my dates wrong. That might have been 2000. Mm. That was funded with LWCF. Mm. If you go to Big Sky to go skiing, look across to the east and you see Porcupine. Mm. The Porcupine game range used to be checkerboard. Mm. We filled in that checkerboard in 97, 98 with LWCF. Yep. You go further south and you go to Taylor's Fork. The main migration corridor that where wildlife comes out of the northwest corner of Yellowstone over to the Madison Valley, they go through Taylor's Fork. Mm. 2005, that was all solved with LWCF. So the footprint of LWCF, all the fishing access sites you talked about, but for anyone who uses public land, whether you hunt like I do or hike or camp or whatever, it, it, somehow, some way, I need to do a visual map mm. that says, here's where you're now able to hunt and fish and hike and do whatever because of this program. And uh, I'm... I, I I can't even tell you how excited I was when the word came that the Senate was going to let you guys do it. Yeah. Uh, and then even more excitement. And if you read a lot of the headlines, many of the media sources will say that this bill is a once in a generation yeah. lands bill. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's right. And, and you know, politically, the stars lined up. You've got. Uh, How least, is that? What, when you say that, what, I'm interested. I, you know, at the, at, at the end of the day, uh, Randy, the political process is about people. Mm-hmm. It's about trust. It's about relationship. It's about values, passions. And you had Lisa Murkowski, who chairs the Natural Resource Committee, which S- I'm on. She's the senior senator from Alaska. Correct. Lisa from Alaska. And then Maria Cantwell. From Washington. Is a senior senator from, uh, from Washington. And so she's the highest level High seniority uh, Democrats, Maria Cantwell, Murkowski is the is the senior Republican. She chairs the committee. So, uh, and I, I sit in that committee, and I'm I'm about three three or four senators away from the gavel on that one. I'm, I'm rising in seniority in that, which is good. Going bring continue to bring more of the Montana voice and conservation and so forth that that balance. And I find that Montanans, you know, as I said, Randy, we're a blend of Mer- we're a blend of Merle Haggard and John Denver. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so we you know we want you know we, Montanans are completely consistent when they say we want LWCF we want to protect and and conserve our public lands and we believe we ought to have common sense forest management to thin these forests so we don't have to have to try to reduce the risk of catastrophic wildfires those are completely compatible and that's where seventy eighty percent of Montanans are and yeah. that, so that committee is called the Energy and Natural Resources so we work on a lot of these forest management energy issues and conservation but the point is that you have those two senators that pushed hard. And then in the, on the House side, you actually had Rob Bishop in, uh, and uh, Congressman Rahava. And those four, they call that the four corners in political terms. Uh-huh. They kind of, you pin down the four corners, the, the respective committee chairs that ultimately are uh, step one, getting that to the floor of the Senate and the House. And um, we just came together and, hmm. and, and got it done. And, and as I said at that press conference, it took public lands to bring divided government together. Yeah, that's... And I think that sums it up. That, that, 
I wondered if that was the the thread that we were able to weave. Mm-hmm. When I say we, I mean Americans, right? Because right. historically, conservation is never a partisan thing. It's it it's usually well accepted, and and uh, it, I think most of us today would agree that boy, our government seems more divided than it ever has. Mm-hmm. So in this highly divided period how can what is the the secret sauce yeah. that brought a senate vote mm-hmm. to what did you say the senate vote was 90 to 8 90 to 8 mm-hmm. and then in the house another overwhelming vote mm-hmm. that's that's remarkable people if if could you ever get a budget bill with that kind of no no could no. you get any other policy bill with that type uh, of the list of possibilities there, I can probably count on about half a hand, <laughs> a few fingers, really. I yeah. mean, I, and, yeah, that's it, it, right. And so it was, it, it was a moment, and I think the country needed that moment. Mm-hmm. It's like a moment to say, you know what, DC came together okay. for a brief moment, right? And the president's going to sign this bill, um, and uh, it's a brief moment, but it's going to be a legacy of protection, conservation here for our country. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, for me, I'm just, people who know me, they're like, Randy, you got nothing but a big smile ever since that passed. And and part of it is someone who, all the people I know, and I'm just one of hundreds or thousands who have been advocating and pushing towards this through either our individual efforts, or a lot of times it's through the groups we work with yeah. or the, and it's just... Uh, remarkable and I'm glad that you were able to to bring one side of it together and mm. and you 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 always are quick to give uh credit to the other side which uh you wouldn't think that that happens if you listen to today's news <laughs> uh but you're you know you're talking about Senator Heinrich from New Mexico mm-hmm. being very critical in the process. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, things like this don't happen probably if you say, I'm going to do it with just my side. Mm. I don't know. Maybe you could not, do it. Not but. very often. Not not in, uh, especially in divided government. And, uh, you know, and thing too, when you move that through, that we get a win like that, then Senator Heinrich and I have a chance to keep working, you know, the next hill together. And he understands the political realities on the Democratic side. I yeah. see it on the Republican side. We talk openly about it. Yeah. And, um, so I've invited him to come elk hunting with me. Oh gosh, he'll do that in a blink, I think. So I, I'm thinking we need to have an elk camp with <laughs> a hunter like from it. each side of the aisle in both the Senate and the House. So <laughs> I've already given him the invite. I'm giving. I'm now giving you the invite. Oof. So I'm trying to think in the House who are we going to get to come elk hunting you someday? Know, let's uh, let's give that some more thought, Randy. I, uh, <laughs> the only downside is I know how busy all you guys are. There's the there's no chance wherever you're going to oh, be able to no match chance. calendars. In the fall, I try to block out some of my time on my weekends to get back yeah. here and get out. I do. Oh, yeah. that's good And you know. know. And we always have the, the Thanksgiving break, too, is, yeah. which uh, use the mule deer in full swing out here in Montana, and the snows here to bring those elk down, too. It's not a too bad a time to be out. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, that, that would be one of the things that would really be hard to... to uh, serve in a D.C. government position, in, in my mind, because I know how much time, uh, not just you're back there, but you've got to be accountable to do. so many people. Yeah. You, you, all of you, all you know, the, you, Senator Tester, sure. Congressman Gianforte, yeah. you, you guys have to go all around the yeah. state all the time. 
Well, I'll tell you, though, I, uh, growing up in, uh, in Bozeman, kindergarten through college here in Bozeman, I thought I knew Montana pretty well. You know, uh-huh. I spend a lot of time outside in different places. But uh, the, when you serve either, and I served as a congressman for one term and then came to the Senate um, 2014, you get to every corner of the state, every corner. And I can play small town bingo now with anybody. <laughs> I mean, literally, Randy, two weeks ago, I was, I, we had a week recess in, Mon- in, uh, in Congress. So I'm back home in Montana. It was Bozeman, Billings, Glasgow, Wolf Point, Glendive, Weibo. When you get to well, Weibo, you're yeah, out of Montana. Yeah, there, you're, you know, you're close you're to... Ter- yeah, you're, you're about you, North Dakota. Yeah, Western North Dakota. Back almost. to Terry, and then it was Circle, Sydney, Kalispell, Missoula, Great Falls, Helena. And that was over the course of about 10 days from, um, and I love getting out yeah. because it's those cup of coffee conversations when mm-hmm. everybody's in their Wranglers and their boots, yeah. um, that you really get to hear what's going on. Yeah. And it, it's not, uh, it's not about a press release. It's about a personal touch. And, uh, but when hunting season comes, you need to protect those weekends. <laughs> and my wife and I too, we, we always, there's always an August recess. And mm-hmm. I love the, the Beartooth Wilderness has been the place that I've spent years chasing a lot of those lakes and getting up high with an Elk Hair Caddis there, my fly rod. And uh, we, we usually spend a week in the Beartooth too. Wow. We, we'll take a couple of our mini Australian Shepherd dogs. They're good, good bear deterrents. And uh, we'll get up high, we'll get off trail. And, uh, I can probably talk Beartooth Lakes with anybody. I've climbed yeah. Granite Peak before um, and uh, used to do high points. I've, my mountain climbing aspirations have been tempered a bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I still like to get up, up high, but now I just love to get up there and chase golden trout when we find them and sometimes yeah. some good cut fishing too. So a couple of other things, just looking in the front windshield now yeah. that we, as a, hopefully on Wednesday when this bill gets signed, we've, yeah. we've got the the huge public land yeah, package in yeah. the rear view mirror. Right. In the front windshield, there's a couple things that I I know that are important to a lot of people is one is forestry management. Mm. Uh, I look at some of the bills and, and projects you and you'd mentioned uh, Senator Cantwell from Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys have been working hard mm-hmm. on some forestry issues, which yeah. Yeah. again, it, if, if someone would have told me that you could have got people from each side of the aisle yeah. to be pushing forward with some of these right. ideas. I, I would have been surprised if all I did was listen to the news at night yeah. because it's, all, you know, like you, you almost would believe that when you guys get back to DC, you put the gloves on and see if, mm. it, you know, it's like wrestling or something. Mm. And uh, it, <laughs> this is from a hunter's perspective. Uh, mm. We, we, we're starting to see the studies that show mm-hmm. us that as our forests reach a post-climax phase, elk are spending less time on public land mm-hmm. because the productivity of the public land is not what it was 30 or 40 right. years ago. Yep. Yep. So how do we do those things? And where's yep. the political solution going to be? Because now we're seeing resistance from some of the states that have experienced some very tragic wildfires, sure. say California. They're, yeah. they're no longer real big fans of controlled burns or any type yeah. of burn because of what they've seen as fire's destructive path. So you mentioned so, uh, Senator Cantwell of Washington, Democrat, working this with us. Uh, 
and you mentioned California, you know, Diane Feinstein yeah. and I are, are having conversations, our staff are, about uh, some forest management reforms because of the devastation they've seen in California. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, you know, Diane Feinstein and I, uh, we have a great relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. We truly, we're, we're friends. Yeah. We probably disagree on a lot of <laughs> policy <laughs> issues in a lot of areas, but we're finding common ground in some really important areas too. Yeah. And that's what this is about. Uh, I, I think we have to step back and um, kind of reframe this debate on forest management and make it a little bit bigger. Uh, you mentioned wildlife habitat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've, they did some very interesting, you saw the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation um, had some interesting, when they did a uh, collaring activity when they collared these cows out in, in yep. Western Washington. Yeah, so they've, you, you're aware of some of that research. It's sure, been they, they, collar these, they collar these cows. And cow elk. The yep. cow elk, excuse yep. me, cow elk, yeah. Montana, yeah, we have two kinds of cows out here. <laughs> There's the cabin type right now that yeah. we, we, we're doing in Montana to keep the food in the table. But then uh, yeah. within the fall, to keep food in the table, another kind, the yeah. cow elk. But anyway, that, uh, but they're, they, they're called these, these uh, cow elk, and they find out these cow elk need to have some, some open areas where they've got sunlight, where they've got grass, and places where they can calve and where they congregate. And you've seen the... You've seen the um, yeah. They use these telemetric uh, studies with satellites from these collared elk, and guess what? They were going right where the power lines are going through there because mm-hmm. there was open space there for these cow elk to get into. Yeah. Um, and, and nobody's suggesting clear cuts in forest. Man, we're talking about thinning. Right. And we thin the forest. It also provides more sunlight to come down on the ground, provide grass mm-hmm. for the food. Because we know when Lewis and Clark came out of the elk weren't up in the mountains. No, they the elk were. were down in the grasslands. They're smart. Yeah. It's tough up there in the mountains. <laughs> Especially in a winter <laughs> like that. So I think we'd look at in terms of the totality of wildlife habitat, of the environmental disasters we have in these catastrophic wildfires to the watersheds, to the mm-hmm. air quality. Um, and there's common sense that can be found here. And uh, we must find it. Not to mention what it's doing here to our sort of impoverished counties. You know, you have to go out to where you were talking about there, your logging background and yeah. your family. You watch some of these counties in Western Montana, they're in poverty levels. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, they can't touch, their logging industry is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the elk habitat has been really, uh, really compromised because it's yeah. getting so thick. The elk don't want to be like There's really nothing thick there. But, right. And so we've lost the jobs. We lost the tax rate. We've got county commissioners having to go out and jump on road graders to plow the roads because they had to, had to lay off the road, uh, county road crews because they don't have money because there's no revenues coming in from these counties mm-hmm. that have 70, 90% federal lands in their counties. Yeah. The Libby loggers right. up in Lincoln County, there's no longer a sawmill up in Lincoln County. Right. They Imagine should call them the Libby law- lawyers because there's just lawsuits now. <laughs> there's no more loggers. And, uh, and so that's, that's just, uh, that's the challenge we face here. And Montanans right. want the balance. Right. Nobody, nobody wants clear cut. We're not talking clear cut. We're talking right. about thinning and common sense. Right? So that, yeah. I, at the end of the day, either we're going to manage our forest better or they're going to manage us. Yeah. And that's what we see here in Bozeman, you know, in the fall or in the fall, in the summertime in August. Well, if we all have our families come out and visit and want to tour the state. We can't even see the mountains. Right. I'll show them pictures of my cell phone. This is what the Bridger Mountains look like on a nice day. Today, you can't see them because of smoke. Yeah. And, and uh, we, would be, we wouldn't be shooting straight if we said that if we do this, we'll eliminate wildfires. No. Wildfires are a natural part of the ecosystem. But mm-hmm. we can reduce the severity and the frequency of them by better forest management. Yeah. And for me, these, these studies you're talking about, I've, like I said, I've 
my six years on the Elk Foundation board, Elk Foundation contributes money to a lot of this research, and we get some of the preliminary findings. And it'll be interesting to see when these final findings come out because scientists, they want a 100% confidence rate. They, they don't want any cats out of the bag before the abs, every T's crossed, I's dotted, peer-reviewed, blah, blah, blah. Well, one of the things we're finding is there's a reason that we have this weird dynamic of elk populations being very high compared to what they were 30 or 40 years ago. But access to elk on public lands has not really changed. If anything, the last 10 to 15 years, it's going downhill. Right. Because the public land productivity has nothing there for the elk yep. in many instances. Right. Why, why does an elk want to hang out in an absolute black timber forest with no food? Right. So uh, <laughs> last time I checked, when an elk wakes up, the first priority is to eat. Yeah. <laughs> they focus all day on food and yeah. eating. Calorie preservation combined with calorie consumption. Right. So they want to expend the least amount of energy. Trout do the same thing. Elk mm -hmm. do the same thing. It's part of the natural ecosystem. And when the elk run out of food, where are they going to go? They're going to the hay fields and the alfalfa. Right. And they're coming off the public lands. They're going down the private land. And here we have one of the frustrations. When we drive by, we look, you see hundreds of elks out there around the pivot. Right. And you get up there in the forest. And so this is where, this is where I think we have to think about this debate on forest management. It's, it's not just a timber war. No. Uh, this, isn't the, this isn't the debate of the 70s on clear cut. The, the, the way that we harvest and thin timber today is, uh, is so sound. And it's so common sense. It's a thinning process. You have mm -hmm. to thin the forest, right? Yeah. And we do that, we'll have better elk habitat. Yeah. It's not that complicated, yeah. Randy. <laughs> no, it, it's not. And, and when I jump into that discussion, everybody says, look, Randy, your brother's a logger. You come from a logging family. You yeah. worked in a sawmill when you were in college. Yeah. You, you're, you only see it through the lens of a logger. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's true. But I also, I think, see it more through the lens of a hunter mm -hmm. at this point in mm -hmm. my life. And, and there is no doubt that the value these lands have are compromised when they're not managed properly. And if we're going to take controlled burns and other things off the table because of the risks that some feel, or, or you, you really can't do a controlled burn next to an urban area or next right. to human uh, subdivisions or, or just human activity. So what's the other alternative? Someone have another alternative besides mechanical treatment? And, and I know some, the, as quick as you say logging, instantly they're up in arms of, oh, they, they, they're just anti-logging. Yeah. They don't know much of what it really constitutes, mm -hmm. but you look at those places that have been treated properly and we know how to do it properly. We do. That to me, to, to and so to close the circle here, the loop, to read some of the things and hear some of the things that you and Senator Cantwell are are working on. I hope that we we can see some of that eventually gain steam and and kind of like this land yeah. package. Yeah, well, and, and we have too. You know the. Um, we, we have the, the Montana delegation working together, Senator Tester, Congressman Gianforte, uh, the three of us uh, pushing on forest management reform. We've got to have it. Mm 
Yeah. And, and I think we just have to think about this as, again, it's just not, it's, this isn't a timber war. This is, think, this is a conservation discussion. Exactly. That's the, what the, it is. The, it's it, a, it really is. Landscape conservation. It is. And it's a, it's a habitat discussion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and at the end of the day, too, uh, it is about the importance of jobs. It all ties. We, we, we solve a lot of these challenges we face in Montana because, you know, there's a place like Bozeman here. We're this pocket of prosperity in the state that does not represent most of Montana. No. You know, you, the fun, <laughs> it's funny, you know, the funny thing about Bozeman, you know, it's a great town. The best part about it is 20 minutes from Montana. And, and <laughs> the people, you know, the folks who have been here a long time, Get it. Yeah. The folks who were offended by that comment moved here 10 years ago. Yeah. But that's just, and I love my hometown. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, you jump in my pickup, let's go out to, let's go out to uh, Libby, Montana. Mm-hmm. Let's go out to Eureka. Let's go out to Westby mm-hmm. and Ekalaka and yeah. Circle and Terry and Chinook and yeah. these small little towns right now that are struggling. Yeah. And, um, and so you look at the, uh, uh, if we don't, if we're not careful, this economy will turn into the the the, you know, the rich and famous will be able to live in Montana, right. and the the average working person can't. Right. And so this is fighting on behalf of working families in Montana who want to live in Montana, raise their kids here, and that old buy your elk tag, <laughs> Bob Warger at Walmart yeah. and hunt. Uh, we can't lose that. Yeah. That's, that's an important Montana value. So I think this is a, this is requires a continued thoughtful discussion. Yeah. Well, for me, my wife would move to Malta, Montana tomorrow if the winters weren't so bad. She, <laughs> my wife is a walleye fishing nut. Really? Yeah. So we wow. spend our summers, uh, hmm. at least three weeks of summer up in Phillips County. Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, if ever you you need some walleyes, let me know. My wife might part, might, might I say yeah. might, part with a small part of her inventory. That's interesting. With old Malta, my grandpa spent a, a summer there uh, pinching in the Lutheran church with my mom when she was a little girl in Malta, Montana. Really? Yeah. That's uh, a, it's not exactly on the beaten path in Montana. No. In fact, the, yeah. the only reason I think that people stop in Malta is it's on Highway 2. So yeah. if you're going across right. northern Montana, there's a Dairy Queen there. Yeah. I never drive past that Dairy Queen in Malta. It's... I'm a sucker for a dilly bar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other topic I think that uh, a lot of hunters are interested in, and they, they really don't know what a solution is, and I don't know that anybody has a solution at this time, but uh, we went through the process of multiple delistings, relistings, delistings with wolves. Yeah. Eventually, uh, Congressman Simpson from Idaho, Senator Tester from Montana, somehow they crafted a legislative solution yep. to, to delist the gray wolf here in Montana mm-hmm. and Idaho. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing the same thing with the, uh, the grizzly bear mm-hmm. issue is like <laughs> yeah. deja vu all over it again, is. as Yogi Bear would say. Yep. Yep. Uh, from my perspective, when Governor Roscoe was here, governor in Montana, mm-hmm. He picked me and four other people. We represented Montana. Uh, there were five from Idaho, five from Wyoming. We were called the Governor's Grizzly Bear Roundtable, and we worked with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service mm-hmm. over three years to craft the conservation strategy mm-hmm. that is now what's being litigated. So for me, it's extremely frustrating to see the litigation yeah. regarding the Yellowstone uh, mm-hmm. grizzly bear population mm-hmm. because... In those three years, I sat there and listened to some of the most informed geniuses on grizzly bears. These 
biologists for all the state agencies, for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, they know grizzly bears. And if the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service biologists tell me that the grizzly bears are no longer threatened in the Yellowstone area, right. I believe them because I sat and listened to yep. those folks mm-hmm. for three years. So now they come forward numerous times and say, we don't have room for any more bears in the recovery area. And every time they do it, they get sued. And now just because it was an idea that might include hunting, it got it got litigated. I, I don't know that there's answers. I'm not trying to put you on the spot of are are there answers, but for, well, for, well, I, for those of us who sure. live here so and he, have made lifestyle accommodations. Sure. So, 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 so Randy, you just hit, actually, I think that the issue we just talked about earlier on forest management tied to the grizzly bears, mm-hmm. because there's a segment of thought out there. It is not representative of where most Montanans are. It's a very small minority yeah. who are using the Endangered Species Act and the grizzly bears as being listed as leverage to launch lawsuits to stop forest mm. management. Mm-hmm. So they want to have those bears on the endangered species list because they use that as their habitat argument in the Ninth Circuit Court to stop timber right. harvest, as an example. But I think we need to let science and quantitative analysis drive this discussion. Uh, you know, my degree at You're Montana, talking like an engineer there. <laughs> <laughs> and you're talking like a CPA, right? So, you know, we're both number guys back once upon a time. I, yeah. I was a chemical engineer from Montana State University. That was my degree. And so I, you know, I tend to kind of turn on my geek hat here for a moment, but I think uh-huh. we had to look at the science yep. and the data. So we have recovery targets for the grizzly bear. Mm-hmm broken out by ecosystems. We have the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. We've got basically the, the Bob Marshall. The Northern the Continental. Front, and then we've got the Yak Kootenai. Yep. There's these three ecosystems. Um, and they are well past recovery targets now. Well past. So um, we should celebrate. <laughs> should we? Should we? Celebrate we should be dancing in the streets. Saying, isn't this amazing? We recovered a species. That's why we have the Endangered Species Act. We've recovered it. We had to celebrate now they've been removed from the endangered species list and then return the control of that population to the state like we did with wolves in Montana. Yeah. The state knows how to do that. And we, we could manage it with like we've done with wolves where you can buy a tag uh, for a bear and then we'll have a quota system. And once we you dial in the 24-hour uh, uh, system and once we hit the quota, we shut the, we shut the season yeah. down. That that's We know how to solve this problem in Montana. Yeah. So I... I um, um, I, I, if it takes legislation, we'll do that. If we'll just kind of work our way through the courts, we'll get that done. But we need to, we need to get the bears delisted here and celebrate the success. Yeah, my, return that back to the states. My biggest concern about all this litigation <laughs> under the ESA is, I looked at when the whole wolf deal came, 94, 95, even ninety three. All the meetings that were held mm-hmm. in Bozeman and other communities. And Montanans, and I suspect probably Idaho, Wyoming said, all right, we'll, we'll strike this deal and we'll live with it. We'll make the accommodations. We'll change our landscape uses. And then they, so they did everything they said, the, the, the states did everything they said they would. And then the, the courts kept moving the goalpost, yeah. the goal line. My bigger concern is what that does for the spirit or the commitment mm-hmm. locals will ever again have for large landscape conservation. Right. It, it, well, it, it's the old no good deed goes unpunished. Mm-hmm. If you look at a map that we had 
1999 of what the landscape uses were in the greater Yellowstone region Mm -hmm. for timbering, for grazing, for motorized access, for all these things that people were using these lands and making a living from them. Mm -hmm. As part of the recovery strategy, all those land use changes got altered or changed or eliminated of certain activities. So the local people made a big commitment for grizzly bears and they were promised this is what will happen if you do all this. So they did it. There's no longer any logging in a lot of those places. A lot of those got got closed to motorized use. There's so many things about food storage, about how we can use that landscape in the grizzly bear recovery area. We did everything and we did it in spades. And now the promise is broken. How do you convince the people of Gardner or West Yellowstone or Big Sky or Ennis or wherever it is in, in Cody and, and Jackson? Mm-hmm. And uh, How do you convince them to embark and continue on large landscape conservation projects of big species that require big country when you're not going to hold up your end of the deal? And that, for the long-term future of other conservation, I think, is going to kill it. It, it. it takes away any incentive for people to participate and make those yeah. daily life changes. That <laughs> it, it's it's a, it's really a great source of frustration. Yeah, across the state, it really is. I uh, um, I don't know if it's driven by the kind of the anti-hunting crowd or what, but it's uh, it's concerning, Randy. And do you talk to folks who've been around here? Um, whether it's in the Rocky Mountain Front or down here in the Yellowstone area or up in the Yak Kootenai, we're running into now, frankly, you know, public safety issues. Mm-hmm. We've got ranch families along the Rocky Mountain Front. They can't let the kids out at night. Right. Literally, the Bynum School there uh, up along the front, you know, they've got big fences there to protect the kids from the bears. Yeah. And that's just, uh, you know, and, and again, let's celebrate the fact that yeah. The grizzlies are an incredible icon of, of the uh, the great American West and wilderness. And, and is evidence of amazing conservation work. It is. It is. You can, you can be absolutely pro-grizzly and for the delisting. Yeah. Uh, and that's the way it ought to be. Because yeah. as we know, too, is that uh, uh, we see this globally. If you return, if you return the management of a species to a state and allow uh, managed hunting with species, mm-hmm. it's one of the great ways to conserve a species. Right. We see that in Africa. If you want to protect the elephants, it's yeah. actually it's actually the hunters <laughs> and conservation that fund the programs to stop the poachers. Right. So you should do it legally here, and the populations actually go up; they don't go down. Yeah, and uh, we can the same thing will be true here with the bear. So it's, it's time yeah. to delist them. Yeah. Well. The NPR did a really good article about the ranchers up on the Rocky Mountain front and how they're just, they've done everything to accommodate and live around grizzly bears. Yeah. And if I was one of them, I would be so frustrated at this point. And I suspect that, well, that article demonstrated how... The, these they, folks they are, are our, our, our ranchers in Montana are very frustrated. It's one of their, mm-hmm. it's become one of their top issues, whether it's on yeah. the cattle side or the, the, uh, the wool growers. I talk to them all the time yeah. and they're, they're not asking anything unreasonable. They're just no. saying <laughs> the, the numbers are well above the target. And so why aren't we delisting the bear? Yeah. <laughs> That's all they're asking for. And Montana has amazing landscapes, public land landscapes. But I always say, I travel the West and Montana has the most remarkable private land stewards of any place I go. And we, all of us in Montana benefit from these 
great conservation stewards we have on our big uninterrupted private lands as much as our public lands. It's true. Because with that, those, those private lands in a state where two thirds is private, without amazing conservationists and, and an ethic that those landowners have, we are not going to have the wildlife abundance we have in Montana without them. That's right. And I worry about those people just throwing their hands up in there and finally just saying, you know what, screw it, I'm out of here. So, anyhow, I know I'm keeping you. I, I could go on to these topics forever. I'm, and, I'm uh, enjoying the conversation. <laughs> this is great. Oh, gosh. I, I hope we can uh, circle around again yeah, someday, again. Senator. Yeah. And, and, we'll see if we can solve all the world's problems again here uh, in the morning. How's that? that be, a cup that, of coffee. That, yeah. that would be great. Yeah. And uh, the, the invitation is always there, whether it's a duck hunt, an antelope hunt, an elk hunt. Uh, you and any of your family uh, oh, want to join man. us. Thank we, you. We'd love to have you, but we 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 don't want a security entourage. I don't know if you senators have to travel with a security entourage. You know, I'll tell you when I have a three hundred Wimmeg on my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it it just feels. Good. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, I. I'll uh, I'll wrap it up, but I can't right. thank you enough, yeah, Senator. Thanks, Randy. Thank you. You're, Appreciate you. You're, thanks for what you do out here to bring a voice of common sense and reason in this uh, discussion. And, and I want to thank you too for your service, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Six oh, years. Yeah, it's a great you. organization. I, um, I I greatly value. They've been such a good partner. Yeah, bringing that perspective here to these debates on on public lands, and yeah. I'm grateful for them. Thanks yeah. for your service there. Well, thank you. And I hope uh, anytime that you have uh, a need for someone to get the word out on legislation that's important to public lands and conservation, uh, I, I'll be here. Thanks, Randy. Thank you.